Las Vegas just after 8 o'clock. I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are here live, same time every Sunday on Fox Sports Radio 98.9 FM at 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Gold. We are coming to you from the Wisden, also known as Spencer Studio in Las Vegas. We are here because we have been booted from the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio until further notice due to COVID protocol. Not shocking. Joining me on the show via StreamYard is my friend, Michigan native and longtime Las Vegas sports broadcaster, Chris Wynn. Here with me in studio is social media director, Spencer the Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. Yes, that is right. The Wiz has his own theme music. And social distancing back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio is producer extraordinaire Jared Justice. This show is also streaming live on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter. The handle, at LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap is brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you currently own, Residential Bank Corp is the company turned to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time, now offering $2,500 free to everyone and anyone who qualifies for a home purchase loan in the state of Nevada. Call 702-964-5720 for more information. On Tap, the Vegas Golden Knights Get off the two-game losing streak on Friday if you want to call that a losing streak. Pound uh, Arizona 7-1. to We'll talk about the Vegas Golden Knights who are getting healthier and uh, after the two-game slide look a little bit better. Uh, we will also be talking today about uh, UNLV football and basketball a little bit, wrapping up the UNLV football season. We kind of did that with Caleb Herring last weekend. We'll do it again today with C. Wynn and Spencer, and, of course, we'll talk some UNLV um, basketball as well. After starting 3-0, and uh, the Rebels have only won one game, the running Rebels, I should say. But, um, hey, is that a problem? We'll talk to C. Wynn about that, see get his take on that as well. Also, as you know, the college football playoffs will be set in stone a little bit later on today and uh, stick around for that. We'll talk all about that one as all the conference championships took place and uh, made it rather easy on the 12 person selection committee. Um, and also of course the Raiders back on the field today at Allegiant stadium, playing the Washington football team, kind of a big game. Washington coming off of a big road win in Seattle on Monday night, short week for them. And the Raiders shocked the world last Thursday on Thanksgiving a week ago, Thursday, I should say by beating the Dallas Cowboys. They've had a long rest. So hopefully uh, that'll bode well for them and, and uh, a very good friend of mine, Chris Wins, uh, an acquaintance of Spencer, Jared Justice back in studio. Um, Frank Ball, uh, Frank uh, Harnish, known as Ballpark Frank, passed away this past week. And um, for the next, uh, up until through the rest of this year, every week, we're going to have somebody on to talk a little bit about Frank that has a relationship with him, share some stories and kind of tribute to Frank Harnish, a, a, a good friend of mine, even though he was from Chicago. I love the guy and uh, he'll be sorely missed. And we'll talk all about him in a little bit. Uh, once again, that is what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust, Residential Bank Corp, Funding America One neighborhood at a time and right now residential bank corp offering nevada home buyers twenty five hundred dollars towards closing costs for anyone and everyone who qualifies for any home purchase financing program in the state of nevada once again call 702-964-5720 for further details and uh let's get right into this before we we, we jump into nightcap first of all i want to welcome our guest uh c win on the other end and, and joining us via streaming today what's going on c it's going good, guys. Uh, good to join you. Obviously, uh, every weekend is a loaded sports weekend, right, in Las Vegas. And uh, this one is no different. But uh, uh, unfortunate, obviously, uh, sad news here in Las Vegas regarding uh, our friend and a fixture here in the Las Vegas sports radio community, uh, talking, obviously, about uh, ballpark Frank Harnish and his passing this past week with, uh, you know, a, a guy who – you, you you already touched on it, Brian. Uh, someone who uh, was affable was a uh, was like you, myself, Clay Baker. 
was a Midwest guy, a uh, guy that uh, that sports fans around here in Las Vegas obviously were very familiar with. Uh, one of the early voices are right there on Fox Sports Radio with uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Insider Show, and the pre and post game. And uh, it was just uh, it was rough news finding that out uh, this week that uh, Frank had succumbed to to uh, cancer and uh, he was no longer with us. No, no question. See, he is a, a staple in this community, in the sports broadcasting industry. Everybody knew Frank. I don't think I ever heard anyone say a bad word about the, about the guy. Frank had his own unique way of handling and presenting everything, but uh, his sports knowledge was as vast as anybody I know. Loved his Chicago teams, especially his Bears and Blackhawks, something him and I uh, talked about regularly. Yeah. As, Chris, as Chris, you know, we're from Detroit, so we were yeah. always on Frank Harnish back and forth. Uh, he's had the bragging rights lately as far as how bad the Detroit teams have been. But, again, he is going to be sorely missed, and we'll we'll bring him up throughout the show. And speaking of Frank, uh, a tribute to him to start our show. Of course, we start every show with Nightcap talking about the Vegas Golden Knights. And Frank, of course, a big part of their first two seasons in Las Vegas, as you said, Chris, hosting the Insider Show, uh, him hosting uh, the pre- and post-game show, and even in between periods, you heard Frank uh, for several years. Nobody loved hockey as much as Frank Harnish. And uh, again, uh, so we'll, tri- we'll tribute today's a nightcap to uh, to Frank Harnish. Go ahead, so hit it, Spence. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. It's going to start again tonight, a huge game this evening at uh, T-Mobile Arena. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But uh, the Knights, after dropping two straight, one of the Edmonton Oilers a week ago Saturday, and, um, of course, uh, uh, last Wednesday they got beat by the the Anaheim Ducks, who are having a really good season to this point. So are the Oilers. And then, of course, they went into Coyotes, uh, into Arizona, and beat up on the lowly Coyotes 7-1 on Friday night. Uh, Tonight they'll play the Frames. But right now, 13-10-0, is the current record. They're fifth in the Western Conference's Pacific Division and in a three-way tie for eighth place overall in the Western Conference. Chris, you know, for a minute we were concerned, then we weren't, and, you know, what I like is seeing everyone get healthy. A nice, convincing win against a team they need to beat convincingly on Friday night, but what are your expectations of the Vegas Golden Knights team this year? Because they have really have spent some money, spread things out, made some personnel changes, and the whole ideology of this team right now is to win right now. This isn't a team built for the future. This is a team built for right now. Can they finally do it this year, Chris? I mean, right now, obviously some struggles at the beginning of the season, but we see this team when they play and every gear is clicking they're as good as anybody out there, I think. No question about it, Brian. And look, my expectations are still high with this hockey club. Um, we understand that uh, there's been, you know, developing situations for every NHL team with respect to COVID-19. Obviously, the Golden Knights have been dealing with injuries as well, too. Key injuries to, you know, big-time players. Guys who are supposed to be, you know, significant contributors. Gradually getting these guys back, obviously, with the Mark Stone coming back. You know, the expectation is William Carlson's on is on the men. He should be back sooner than later. And then, of course, obviously, you know, the anticipation of getting a talent, the likes of Jack Eichel into the lineup is going to be massive for them later on down the line. That being said, I mean, they're they're in a division where they're going to be right there. Right, Brian? I mean, you look at this team from a talent standpoint and uh, between the pipes with Robin Leonard. Uh, the other night was a little concerning with Robin Leonard because there was a couple goals that were just not good that uh, slipped past the big netminder in uh, the Anaheim game. But uh, he kind of righted the ship here, and, they, and uh, the Knights righted, righted the ship, obviously, against Arizona. And uh, we'll see what they do tonight. It's going to be interesting tonight because this is a Calgary Flames team. A lot of people didn't have pegged to be you know, one of the premier teams in the Western Conference, and they absolutely have been. And so it's kind of a measuring stick game, I think, for, for Vegas. And uh, we'll see exactly what goes down tonight. But uh, I absolutely expect them to be right there. I don't want to say that they're treading water because I don't know if that's the right way to describe it, you know, as far as what they're doing here throughout the regular season. But the expectations will be significantly ramped up, Brian, without question, as we get closer to playoff time. And and then obviously once we get into the postseason, uh, the expectation is going to be go further than they've gone 
you know, in the uh, early onset of this franchise, and I think they can do it. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, they're trying to get back to the finals. Uh, the bar got set so high in year one with the Misfits taking this team all the way to the Stanley Cup they win the first game against the Capitals and then lost four straight, but it was such a magical season. Uh, the next season gets cut short by a really some questionable uh, referee calls at the end of game seven in the San Jose Sharks series in game one. They should have gone on. And other than that, this team has, has gone past the first round in every season. As a matter of fact, a, a couple of conference finals for them now. Uh, and they're strong. And as you mentioned, Calgary uh, tied for the most points in the Western Conference right now, one of the best records in the National Hockey League, without question, the surprise of 2021 so far. So, yeah, tonight's going to be a good measuring stick. And other than, you know, guys they've been missing for a little bit now with William Carlson and Alec Martinez, this team is back healthy. It's really cool to see the line of Max Pacioretty, Chandler Stevenson, and Mark Stone back together again. And you still have the great production line of, you know, once once William Carlson gets healthy, Riley Smith and John, Jonathan Mark. So a couple of the original misfits that have been just nothing but short of spectacular based on the way they were thrown together four years ago. And here they are still playing together and still playing great. So expectations are high. But, you know, the one thing last year when you look at the postseason, the biggest difference, obviously, the person that carried them to the Western Conference Finals last year or however the, the reconfigured uh a reconfigured conferences last year, a reconfigured schedule, um, but it was Mark Andre Fleury, and then of course that gigantic gaffe in the Montreal series, uh, something, and he actually did it one more time against Chicago this year, kind of got taken away. It's been talked about. We beat that horse into the Elmer Glue factory on this show, but the fact that Marc-Andre Fleury not let go in the best away, the face of this franchise for the first four seasons, he goes to Chicago. I kept saying, and I've been saying, and I stand by it, it was a brilliant move by the Vegas Golden Knights for the simple fact it righted every ship, saved some money, finally can transplant Robin Leonard as the heir apparent and gave Marc-Andre Fleury a new lease, even though it hasn't worked out great to this point in Chicago. It made a lot of sense for this team. And Robin Leonard, although, as you mentioned, Chris, the, you know, last week against Edmonton, gave up a couple of shaky goals, definitely gave up a couple of shaky goals, I should say, against the, the Ducks. Mm -hmm. But Robin Leonard is the guy, and I think Robin Leonard, top five, at least top seven goaltenders in the National Hockey League right now, right? And absolutely. And a couple quick notes, too, Brian, regarding what this team's been able to do this year, right? You like the scoring they're getting from the blue line, right? The, def the defense is absolutely contributing on the offensive end. And you like, you know, you know, obviously nobody likes to have injuries to your key guys on your NHL club, but you like the experience the young kids have gotten, right? The mm -hmm. Cotters, the decisions they've had a chance to get their feet wet in the NHL, play competitive hockey at that level. And, uh, you know, obviously in the case of Cotter and others, you know, they end up going back down to the AHL. That being said, that that type of experience is immeasurable, and that could be big time for Vegas moving on as uh, we get uh, closer to the playoffs. I agree 100%. Well said, and I, I said the same thing. What it's doing, these injuries are doing, is giving the young kids opportunity to play, but more importantly, this experience creates depth getting into the postseason and that is huge at the end of the year because the games every, everyone's game gets elevated when you get to the playoffs in the NHL you can see it on the ice it's like every skater is going another mile per hour and to have these young kids and fresh but to have the experience in case somebody comes goes down or you need a spark or a lift they are really setting themselves up well for later in the season. And again, uh, you know, everybody anticipating uh, the, the arrival of Eichel when he's healthy in 2022 and he plays for this team. I don't think, you know, talking to a lot of fans and I, and I don't, again, I don't like putting down Las Vegas fans. They don't, don't know. They haven't known hockey for a long time, right. but a lot of people were hurt. Probably the biggest departure that hurt him. You would think it would be Marc-Andre Fleury, maybe Ryan Reese, but people I'm talking to, Chris, they loved, um, you know, they loved Alex Tuck, and he was a uh, he was a, a big fan favorite in this town. A lot of ladies liked him, tall, good looking guy. <laughs> he was a favorite, and yeah. you know he's gone, and so that was a complaint. But what people don't understand is, yes, there's a tremendous upside to Alex Tuck. He's lengthy, he's got very soft hands, and if he ever becomes a consistent finisher, he's going to be an upper echelon player in the National Hockey League. That being said, 
Eichel already is an upper echelon player, Chris. And if this guy comes back and recovers from this surgery, as everyone expects him to do and be 100% healthy because he's only in his mid-20s, the upside of having uh, Jack Eichel is, is unbelievable, right? Yeah, think about this, right, Brian? How many times can you get a talent that's a top five talent in the NHL on your team? That's what the Vegas Golden Knights and their fans are getting in Jack Eichel if he's if he's right physically and obviously if he's right from the neck up. And I think he will be. Uh, obviously, a lot of anticipation as to how he's going to respond to that injury, given that there's been no hockey player that's had that in, that that surgery, and and uh, and we don't have anything really to to uh, to judge it by coming back. But he is absolutely one of those guys every NHL team would love to have from a talent standpoint. And he's going to be uh, the benefit's going to be miraculous for the Vegas Golden Knights and this team moving forward. I agree 100%. And, you know, they say that again, yes, it's not a it's not a heavily tested injury, the procedure they're doing, but mm -hmm. they are so confident he's going to be back. It doesn't even seem like when you talk to the Vegas Golden Knight personnel about it, it's like a moot point. It's like, yeah, he's going to be fine. But of course they would say that, but I really believe it based on the procedure and the confidence they seem to have in it that Jack Eichel is going to be fine and be, like you said, getting a superstar and that's what he is it it was a great move and kind of ironic that you have Ron, Robin Leonard kind of running his uh we'll say his twitter about more or less the, the Buffalo Sabres treatment of Jack Eichel and not moving toward forward with the surgery and then he ends up on the Vegas Gold Knights the two of them obviously good friends and that's a really good fit and I'm excited about it before we end this segment uh, something that I want to do right now since it is about the Vegas Golden Knights and I don't think anybody in this town, regardless of the way uh, Frank parted from Lotus and the Vegas Golden Knights, I don't think there's anybody mm -hmm. that loved the Vegas Golden Knights any more than Frank. Maybe a lot of people out there as much, but nobody any more than, than ballpark Frank Harnish. Uh, he'll be sorely missed, and right now something that is an absolute taboo on radio is something called dead air. I would like to give a Spencer, Jared, Chris, let's give 30 seconds of dead air for Frank to let his thoughts fill our radio waves for the next 30 seconds. Uh, Frank, we love and miss you, my friend. And, uh, man, it was a pleasure getting to know you and getting the opportunity several times. I know I speak for Chris, for Jared, for everyone out there that has known Frank Harnish. It was a pleasure and an honor, and you will be sorely missed. 30 seconds to Frank Harnish right now. Frank, we love you, brother, and, um, you know, wherever you're at, it's a better place for you being there. I can definitely say that, and uh, you'll bring your humor and um, your wisecracks and your knowledge wherever you go, and, uh, and I'm sure you'll be referenced and thought about here in Las Vegas for at least the rest of my lifetime, and I'm, I'm sure everyone else out there that knew you. So, um, Chris, anything, anything else you have to say about Frank? That uh, I mean, there's so many stories. I'm not going to spend the time right now doing that. T.C. Martin, who Frank ended uh, doing T.C. show the last uh, couple of years with, uh, will be joining us next week on the show to talk a little bit more about Frank. And as I said, we'll be giving a little bit of a tribute every week on the show to him. But, Chris, uh, how cool was it to get to know Frank and, and some of the arguments and the thoughts and the sarcasm? I mean, just bringing the guy's name up and mention him. As much as I want to cry about his loss, I'm smiling about his life. No doubt about it, Brian. And, uh, you know, he'd be the first to tell us that, that uh, he doesn't enjoy being lauded like this. That's not That wasn't his style, right? He was a guy... He had that gruffy personality, but I also want to point out at the same time, the guy had the, uh, you know, he, he was just a big hearted person. A lot of philanthropy was uh, involved in Frank's life. Obviously we know about, you know, what he did as far as uh, his blood donations here in town. And uh, you know, despite the fact that he did have that kind of gruffy demeanor, uh, he was beloved. Right. And he was a guy that, you know, he, you know, we talk about people in the media here in Vegas, not necessarily being as approachable. That guy was as approachable as any of us. I mean, he was unbelievable uh, on that front. I think it goes back to his Midwestern roots. You know, Brian, obviously not, not, you know, not trying to toot our horn as Midwest guys, but I think that was a big part of Frank's personality. Never afraid of a debate when it came to his beloved Blackhawks, his Buckeyes, his Chicago Bears. 
and uh, he'll be greatly missed. I first met, obviously, Frank back in around 2008 when I was just starting out at Lotus uh, and doing a bunch of shows uh, over there. And uh, he was he was doing a lot like what I was doing. You know, he's a, basically a Swiss Army knife, right? Being able to kind of weave in and out of shows and and uh, just be that that uh, personality that was engaging and uh, and that was fun to listen to. And uh, he'll be greatly missed. And it's, it's a big loss. Brian, let's be straight up about it. Um, and Wiz and 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 Jared uh, covering Vegas sports, right? Moving forward, whether it's the Golden Knights, whether it's UNLV, whether it's uh, you know. Uh, NFL Sundays and, sa- and and college football Saturdays is just not going to be the same without uh, ballpark Frank Harnish there in the mix, giving his opinions and uh, and being present at that time. No, no doubt about it. Chris, well said. And uh, the last time I had the opportunity to speak with Frank, ironically, was Thanksgiving Day. Frank and I were texting each other back and forth because, as you know, the Chicago Bears were at Ford Field playing the Detroit Lions. So we wished mm-hmm. each other. We did our Thanksgiving pleasantries that we do every year, texting. And then, of course, uh, after I got done congratulating him for the win, he said it was the last text I got from Frank was it was a pretty ugly game. Neither team is any good. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. The Bears. <laughs> he was not afraid to get in a rip, right? Especially, especially no. with his Ohio State Buckeyes too, right, Brian? Both of yeah, us Michigan yeah. State guys. Yeah, he had opportunities, and uh, he certainly took them uh, with glee when he got a chance to uh, to fire away at us. But uh, hey, we love him for it, man. He, he did, and he, you know, he just always sarcasm with Frank. There was always something, but the sports knowledge was unbelievable. And Frank did what he did for so many years because he simply loved talking about sports and he had great sports knowledge and the radio gave him the outlet to be able to do that and that's what he did it for as Chris said a little bit ago man the guy wasn't about accolades he'd probably even be uncomfortable with us spending this much time about him on the show but sorry Frank you're gonna have to live with this because the one thing is you loved giving me grief and making me uncomfortable with things so why would I not continue to do the same to you and real quickly Jared if you want to turn on your mic for something for a second if there's anything you wanted to say and add uh, about Frank please do so uh, I would just, just say, say that, that if, if you, you ever wanted to talk about tennis for a half an hour and realize you just talked about tennis for a half an hour without realizing Frank, Frank would, would do that, that. and it, it was genuinely I've never, never liked tennis and unless Frank, Frank Harnish was saying it that, that is such a great point, Jared, yeah. because that is one of the hidden talents of Frank. He loved tennis, and he knew it like the back of his hand. If you were going to sit down and start talking Wimbledon or the U.S. Open or the Australian Open or the French, who's the best clay court player, you better bring it because Frank is going to absolutely bury you in that conversation. I once had a tennis conversation, Jared. It's funny, with Frank, as you said, and a matter of fact, more than once, but um, – Oh my! And I thought, man, I my knowledge is good. I can I can go toe to toe with Frank. Man, if it yeah. would have been a boxing match, I'd have been down in thirty seconds. I mean, he <laughs> he just absolutely knew his stuff. And Frank, we love you. We'll miss you, and we'll continue to talk about Frank, as I said, for the rest of this month, guys. Really quickly, segueing over to UNLV football and basketball. Mm-hmm. We'll start with the UNLV football team. I don't want this to be, and, and somehow, and I've even had this call to my attention. I don't want it to be a Marcus Arroyo bashing segment. That it's not what it's about, and I'm not about I have no dislike for Marcus Arroyo whatsoever. I don't understand uh, his techniques with the media. I don't understand sometimes some of the coaching decisions made throughout his, his short tenure at UNLV, but, but who am I? I'm no football coach. I'm a radio broadcaster. It's simply my opinion, but it's nev- not an opinion on the person himself. It's an opinion and a reflection on what I have seen so far, what Chris has seen, what Jared's seen, what our other friends have seen, we've all witnessed this now for let's call it a season and a half. I don't want to judge him on a six game COVID laden season, but guys, let's be realistic. Chris, you know, two and 10 this year, granted, you got the back to back wins over San Jose state and over uh, Hawaii, which were good, but not unexpected. They did compete better than they have last year. I mean, last year was a complete dumpster fire, but they have competed better this year in some games, a lot of one possession and one score games, but the one of the oldest adages in sports, the good teams and the better teams win the close games or the majority of the close games. The, 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 the last the UNLV rebels do not. And it's just as simple as that. They find ways to lose. I almost, that's, that's I use that line in the lions all the time. Yeah. Chris two and 10, two and 16 overall, 
your take on Marcus Arroyo and how long of a leash does this guy have? Wow. Yeah, I have to say, when we talk about UNLV football, right, and this has kind of been a running theme for about a decade plus, right? Uh, maybe not a decade. Obviously, you know, they had that team that went to the bowl, obviously, you know, where, where uh, you know, it was a respectable team. But it's just been really rough talking UNLV football for the past five, six seasons. And so I almost feel I almost feel sorry for Marcus Arroyo, to be quite honest with you, because it's a culture, really. It's, it's something that uh, is has been embedded really for a long time. And I don't I don't I, I think it's a combination of things. It's a combination of they're not able to keep, uh, you know, the, the great young talent that's here in the Vegas Valley here. Uh, you know, they end up going to other, you know, Division One, uh, better Division One programs. I think there's just a history here that uh, that kind of looms over the the UNLV football program that that might be part of it. Obviously, I thought the facilities had a lot to do with it before they were able to get you know a fantastic workout facility now, and obviously they play at Allegiant Stadium, so things changed. That wasn't the case, obviously. You know, playing uh, you know basically over in Arizona, I say, but but like you know, there, there's so many things that have changed. There's two ways quickly you can look at this season. Uh, you can look at it from a positive standpoint and say, well, they got, you know, they got a couple wins, uh, you know, that uh, one, one win especially that, uh, that uh, you know, was, was solid, okay? But the other one, obviously, they'd be in Mexico team with a backup quarterback. You could say that was kind of sketchy. You can look at it, like, from, from that standpoint, and then you can look at it from the standpoint of the student-athletes and say, you know, like Charles Williams, you know, obviously you're, you're talking about one of the, you know, all-time UNLV football greats, uh, was able to have a fantastic season, and he was he was great. Obviously, some defensive players stepped up as well, too, uh, and were pretty impressive and on, that, on that side of the football. So there are some positives to come out of it, but if you're looking at it from an overall standpoint, it's really tough, isn't it? It's really tough to sit back and say, wow, there's uh, – yeah, you know, there's a there's a there's a rainbow over the horizon. I mean, I just don't see it. It's they're they're just in a situation where they're in a conference, and there's just other there's other teams that are just better. There's other teams that have better coaches. There's other teams that recruit better. And uh, while it's tough to understand why that is, because it's Vegas, right? You should think that it's UNLV. They should be able to recruit the heck out of this conference, out of this out of this region. You know, and uh, and be one of the top two or three teams in the in the conference to recruit, but it just hasn't come to fruition. And uh, I and, and I, I look, I don't want to be Debbie Downer. I don't want to you know take that approach. And Brian, as you pointed out, we're talking heads on the radio, so a lot of times it's just you know us getting kind of the chatter started. But uh, I think it's going to be uh, it, it's going to be a tough sledding for for Marcus Arroyo moving forward because I just think the culture just isn't there. And uh, I don't know if one guy as a head coach can really necessarily change that. Well, you know, Chris, it's an interesting point because, as you mentioned, it was the facilities before. That's no longer an excuse. Mm-hmm. You've got Allegiant Stadium, one of the most, uh, one of the most modern, art, beautiful, architecturally designed facilities in the country now. And I can say the same about the UNLV's workout center now for all the teams enjoying the Fertitta Center, something that was helped greatly by uh, former head coach Tony Sanchez and his relationship with the Fertitta family and a $30 million complex that should help recruit anybody from anywhere. You do have Las Vegas. And can one man change the culture? See, I'm, I'm in the school of thought that, yes, they can. Because even though we've seen a little bit of a downward slide with UNLV basketball, there seems to be a little bit of hope. Now, granted, maybe it's he's because he's the son of the the last coach that was really revered here. I mean, you know, people were indifferent with Dave Rice. Some people thought great. Some people thought bad. I was kind of indifferent to the subject. But the last good coach I say we had here, solid basketball coach, was obviously um, was his father. And yeah. uh, because of that, you know, maybe that's part of the buzz. But I like what I'm seeing. I definitely like the talent he went out and got. Little discouraged about the last couple games, but again, that my point is, I do think a person, the right person, the right fit, can come in and 
begin to manipulate and change a culture. And I think UNLV is in desperate need of that. If they're going to retain a football program 10 years from now, they have got to find a way to make this competitive because there's no more excuses. You know, I understood Sam Boyd Stadium was way off campus. That was a complaint. It was, you know, you know, a glorified high school uh, field, but, you know, bigger than that. But, you know, that's what you heard from the players, the locker rooms, man. I mean, you could smell them from the press room. So I got it. But that's not the case anymore. And again, the Fertitta Center puts it over the top. It's a matter of somebody convincing, especially the guys that are here that leave to go to play other schools that aren't quite top-notch D1 talent. How they leave the state of Nevada is unbelievable to me because every kid should want the opportunity to play in front of his family and make it easy on him. And so if you're not going to go to a Power 5 conference school, you should be choosing UNLV, and I think a good coach and a good recruiter would be getting that done. Is Marcus Arroyo that guy? I'm not going to say 100% and emphatically no at this point in time, but I will say we need to see more and a lot more come 2022. And I'll bring Jared in for one second because Jared, like myself, was a part of the pre-pregame show. Uh, he was there the whole season. I was there for a couple of games. But mm. you got to see this culture. You got to watch everything and, and, and see what had happened here. What is your take, Jared, on UNLV football at this point in time? And then I'm going to ask you both a question after that about the quarterback situation. But I'd like to hear your take because you were pretty involved in the, in the team this year as well. They don't have an offensive identity. And the one that they did have was run the chuck wagon until we figure something else out. That's pretty much my entire stance right now. No, it's a good stance, and you're absolutely right. I mean, Charles Williams was the best offensive threat they have, and they utilized him as often as they could, and sometimes I thought they didn't utilize him when they should have been, and that might have changed a loss or two. But, um, you know, guys – the quarterback situation here and and I asked I had Caleb Herring my former co-host who eventually mm -hmm. will be again when they switch his schedule around at Metro but Caleb was on last week and, I, and I'm telling him Caleb I can't have you being a homer because Caleb used terms during broadcasts and I love Caleb with all my heart you guys know that but he used terms during the broadcast he said the word great a couple times and then once he referred to their defense as lights out and I said the only time you should ever refer to UNLV football using the term lights out is when they're turning the lights out at the stadium after the game that's the only time that term should ever be used lights out defense yes they had a couple of really big defensive stars that I think stepped up. I think Noel Williams, Noel Williams is going to be mm -hmm. a really good player. And by his senior year, he will, if he stays at UNLV, he'll be an all Mountain West performer. I do believe that. And I think Jacoby Winman was the best thing UNLV saw on defense since Javen White. And you, Jacoby Winman, as we both know, has put his name into the portal. He will be transferring. So he will be gone from UNLV. And that is a gigantic gigantic hole to replace, especially since he was, in my opinion, far and away the best player on the defense this year. That is going to be a problem. But uh, back to the quarterback situation. Again, you get this kid, Tate Martell, blue chip, number one recruit out of high school when he left Gorman, goes to Ohio State. Not surprising that it didn't work out there. That is a that has become a quarterback factory for the NFL. So, you know, I understand that. But then he goes to Miami of Florida, not nearly the program they used to be, couldn't win the starting job there, ends up back at UNLV. Now, at first I'm hearing it's his thumb. He has surgery. We got to get better. I'm also hearing things like, well, you know, he doesn't know the playbook completely. And I got to ask you guys, and I'll start with you, Chris, but to me, hearing a guy after he's been with a program for a couple of months is when I was hearing people were actually saying it's the playbook. Are you going to tell me that UNLV's playbook is more complex than Ohio State's or Miami of Florida's playbook that he couldn't get it down? So the question is this. Is Tate Martell more hurt and something wrong with him that we are unaware of, or is he simply just not that good? Chris? Yeah, a couple interesting questions there. Uh, in regards to Tate Martell, I mean, we just look at it right from the outside looking in as, as those who, you know, we're not, you know, involved as far as Marcus Arroyo and his coaching staff making decisions, personnel decisions, right? And so that was always like a big kind of skeptical mystery, right? Starting the season is the whole quarterback deal. Because as you mentioned, Tate Martell was a five-star guy, right? And he ends up going to Ohio State, doesn't pan out, goes to Miami, doesn't pan out. But, so the natural assumption, though, is that he's coming back home to a program that is far many tiers down the line from those programs. He's going to be the guy, right? That's your automatic assumption 
was he was going to be the guy. Obviously, that turned out not to be the case. I don't know what the playbook is, so I'm not going to – I don't want to sit here and speculate and talk about whether one playbook is harder than the other or, you know, how he was going to deal with that. But, I mean, it, it seemed like it was it, – maybe just me. It, it felt like it was a foregone conclusion that Tate Martell was going to be given every opportunity to be the starting quarterback here in, at UNLV. Obviously not the case. You had a youngster come in. You had a, a couple other guys, right, that were in the mix. And it was almost like Arroyo and company were trying to find everybody else except for Tate Martell to play quarterback. And then the speculation about Tate is going to play wide receiver and all this other stuff. So fast-forwarding to now the end of the season, right, and moving forward as far as the signal caller position, obviously when you have a kid that's basically, what, the freshman of the year in the Mountain West, I think that you're probably going to roll with him, right? He's going to be the guy that they're going to look to at least in the near future. But make no mistake about it, you guys. Make no mistake about it. They're going to be out on the recruiting trail this 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 uh, this uh, summer slash spring and be looking for another quarterback. And to your point, Brian, as you brought up, they should be able to get quality guys because of you know the pieces that they have as far as a program, Allegiant Stadium fantastic workout facility and, and, and uh, training facility and, uh, you know, just kind of a, uh, a newer image and, uh, and a more hip image. So I think that uh, they're absolutely going to be looking for a quarterback, but right now I think they got their guy that, that they could roll with here in the near future, at least. Well, we'll see. Spencer, I'll ask you, you know, you attended the games with me this year, most of them. You know, we saw the beginning of the season. They tried going with Justin Rogers. That was a complete mistake. They switched over to Doug Brumfield, who actually played really well till he got hurt really well. Here I go. Uh, he played He played adequately and definitely looked like the starting quarterback. He goes down. Cameron Friel comes in. He plays admirably. He gets banged up, and he definitely shows his toughness. But my biggest point, and I'm going to ask you this and Jared can chime in as well you know my problem was when Cameron Freel was no longer available Doug Brumfield was gone and then they go back to Justin Rogers instead of Tate Martell and we both agree I'm sorry and I don't like to rip on kids these are kids so please look at this repeal back the layers of the onion and get rid of the fact that he's a kid we're talking as sportscasters and talking about him as an athlete Justin Rogers did not look like a D1 college quarterback to me at any point in time this season, even in the last game when the last game when he played admirably at, at best. But to go to him instead of Tate Martell when neither Brumfield or Creel were available, that to me spoke volume. And like I said, if Tate Martell is not hurt, He's no good, right? Well, it's it's one of those things where you wonder if he came into the program thinking that he was all that in a bag of chips. And Mark Soroyal is kind of a response to him saying, you know, oh, just because from Ohio State you think you're just going to come in here and take over, like that kind of attitude. But and that, and again, I've talked about this before, and that's the problem mm -hmm. with the whole situation in, is that we don't know. And normally it's a coach's job to kind of peel back a little bit, isn't it? Tell us that isn't that to hand out the playbook to everybody and talk about how complicated it is. He can just say. He, I don't like where he's at right now. He can go on anywhere and just tell us the situation. Mm -hmm. Instead, we're left to speculate. I'm saying that Tate Martell is all about himself because I don't know, right? So th I think that's one of the big problems. It's not like it matters that much because we struggled so bad at wide receiver this year. I'm not sure any quarterback could have led this team to success. They have so much work to do in terms of you know recruiting. And hopefully, honestly, they don't go, th go through another coaching change because that just means there's going to be another new class of guys going to come in who aren't good enough. And Hopefully they can at least build some sort of program and next year it can be a little better. But the quarterback position is, is Brumfield's job as of right now. Tate Martell isn't on the team as far as I'm concerned anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, a I, I, little bit harsh, but but I'm being harsh on it as well. I, I understand what you're saying, where you're going to, where you're going from. And I agree. I think Brumfield to me looked like the best option. And Cameron Friel looks like he can get the job done when he plays as well. Jared, I'll bring you in to, to end the conversation on UNLV football. You know, what is your take and what, what are you hearing with Tate Martell in that situation? And I will say this as far as uh, Arroyo goes, do I think he should be gone now? Absolutely not. I've always looked at a college coach as though it should be viewed as like a guy getting a scholarship. You get a four-year college scholarship. By mm -hmm. your senior season, if you don't get it, you don't get it. So by the fourth year, that is his team now. 
If that team does not perform and compete on a level that can at least can win half their games, let's say, it's time to move on. So I believe he's got two more seasons, but I do believe if next year looks anything like the first two, he will without question be on the hot seat at the end of next season. But Jared, as far as the quarterback goes, what have you heard? What are your thoughts? Okay, Okay, so the the biggest thing that I've heard is uh, this is a guy in Marcus Arroyo who absolutely, he, he values practice time. We've seen that in how many times he mentioned the fact that they missed spring practice. If Tate Martell couldn't practice, that is just a guy that has hanging around practice to him. And so I kind of have to agree with Spencer in that I don't see him even being on the team because the Marcus Arroyo believes that he needs you. He needs to see you do the reps in order for you to understand his playbook. If we're going talent wise, it's obviously Brumfield left handed bomber, second leading rusher on the team. Yeah. And then obviously Cameron Field was he was admirable in filling in. But yeah, you got me with the Justin Rogers thing. I got no idea on that. Yeah, surprised to all of us. Leaving that alone, real quick, about a two-minute discussion here on UNLV basketball. They start the season 3-0. and A lot of people got a little bit over-the-top excited about California. I can't say a lot of people. I talked to two people that both thought, wow, quality win. No, it's not. Cal basketball is garbage right now. That's just, They're as bad as they've been there. Um, but it's still a win over a Pac-12 team. I'll give them credit for that. And 3-0 and is a great start for them. And then to go into that, to go into that tournament, uh, the main event and really played decently against Michigan in the first half. Michigan made a lot of mistakes and we're realizing Michigan is not the basketball team I thought they were going to be. I think that we'll continue to see them slide into complete mediocrity. But on the other hand, Wichita State, I think, is a is a decent basketball team and can compete. And yet um, they then they nearly beat them. Now, the last couple losses, especially the last one against San Francisco yesterday, uh, you know, a 20 to 21 point victory. Chris, it's hard to swallow. I mean, that that one was a little bit tough. Not that San Francisco isn't a decent basketball team, but I didn't see them being 21 points better than the running Rebels. Yeah, with a handful of games here early on in the season, we've just obviously watching every game and, or, or attending most of the games. Uh, they have a problem scoring the basketball, right? I mean, they need to find a way to, uh, from an offensive standpoint, be much more efficient. You got to get uh, uh, better production out of uh, McCabe and and the guys, uh, you know, in in the backcourt from a from a three point standpoint, I mean, three point shooting. There, there's been a few games where it's just been atrocious, and it's absolutely killed them in some of these matchups. Uh, the last two games, absolutely alarming from a uh, defensive standpoint as well, too. Now, look, Kevin Kruger, you know, he, he's still in the early stages here of uh, getting his era rolling, and I expect that uh, they're going to kind of right the ship a little bit here. But uh, uh, understandable that people will, because because again, much much like the football program, it's a, it's a program going through transition, right? They're trying to get back to respectability, and uh, that's something that's not easy to do, especially when you're a first time head coach that is, you know, let, you know, you can't hold back on this. He has kind of a legacy hanging over his head, right? In Kevin, I think Kevin's going to be a very good head coach. I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily sold that this is probably should have been the first job that he got because I don't think it's a great position for a young coach to be in. But he does have that cloud over his head. And, and with that cloud, I mean his father and his legacy, right? And so the expectations, I think, are kind of a little bit unreasonable regarding him. That being said, uh, I think that uh, they will find ways to, uh, to rectify the situation from an offensive standpoint and be able to be more productive. Uh, because other than a couple of games this year where they've been in the 70s, it's been a team that has struggled to score the basketball. And uh, I, I would imagine with matchups against the likes of Seattle and Hartford uh, down at uh, Michelob Ultra Arena coming up, they'll, they'll try to find ways to, to kind of get the offense going and to knock down some more buckets moving forward. I agree. I, I look at the schedule right now. I don't see the UNLV losing again until 2022. Uh, their upcoming games, as you mentioned, uh, they got two of them outside of the Thomas and Mac, but here in Vegas against Seattle University and Hartford. Then they play Omaha at home and then San Diego at home. Now, that's not San Diego State. That's San Diego University. San Diego State comes on New Year's Day. But um, I think until New Year's Day, this team gets four more wins under their belt. And I think this is an 
great opportunity for this team to build some confidence. And as you mentioned, you know, Jordan McCabe, a U2 sensation in high school, transferred here mm-hmm. from West Virginia. This kid can play basketball. And what, what, he, what he is, it's funny because the announcers were comparing him to Pistol Pete Maravich, which is hilarious. But he does make some really cool assists. I mean, this guy can go behind the back. We've seen him make a three-quarter uh, court pass right on the money. He can definitely play the point position, but the point position, you got to also score. You got to score, and you got to be able to hit the three-pointer, and he has been cold from that. I like this UNLV team as far as the first team under Kevin Kruger, and I think they will do good. The ceiling for this team, I think, is maybe fourth place in the Mountain West, and everything would have to come together for that to happen, but I do like it to happen. Quickly, Spencer, let's get uh, let's get into the next next segment. Just disappointed in how we played. Give Alabama a lot of credit. Give uh, their defense and Bryce Young and their their offensive skill players a lot of credit. They played uh, really well, very accurate, um, explosive, and he's hard to get down on the ground, which uh, caused us a lot of problems defensively. Uh, But we can't turn the ball over and give up 60 and 70 yard passes and expect to be successful. You guys gave us a lot of really positive rat poison. The rat poison that you usually give us is usually fatal but the rat poison that you put out there this week was yummy if you don't like the facts take your ass back to bed fact this Today, the four teams that will play for the 2021-22 National Championship will be announced today. Um, This is now a no-brainer because yesterday's outcomes made the decisions easy for the 12-person selection committee. Um, C-Win, pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Bama 1, Michigan 2, Georgia 3, Cincinnati 4. Pretty much set, signed, sealed, and delivered. And look, there was a little bit of uh, chaos yesterday, but not necessarily enough chaos where it was going to, you know, catapult teams like the Notre Dame firing Irish into the mix or, or uh, even, even a couple others. So uh, I think the, uh, obviously, you know, a, a big time uh, game yesterday as far as uh, Alabama and Georgia, I think really solidified everything here because the other games really weren't in question when it came to Cincinnati. And of course with Michigan, just rolling Iowa, um, maybe a little bit of uh, debate. I don't know about you, what you guys think about this regarding who should be the number one seed because it looks like Alabama is going to get that number one seed. And a lot of people clamoring saying, oh, Michigan, you know, they just blasted, uh, you know, Iowa in the, in the Big Ten championship game. They, they should be the number one seed. A little bit, you know, obviously discussion there. But uh, when it's all said and done, I think what's going to say about this college football playoff, guys, is it's going to make the non-Power 5 teams look bad because I think Cincinnati is in for a world of hurt against the likes of the Crimson Tide coming up in the semifinal. Oh, I would agree with you. And, Chris, I mean, the reason that, that, that Michigan will get leapfrogged by Alabama, it was a perfect storm for Alabama to beat Georgia so the committee can justify them leaping them because the bottom line mm-hmm. is they want the SEC championship game just to line up to be the national championship game. Um, can Michigan beat Georgia? Yeah, I think so. From what I've seen, it's a possibility. But Georgia will no doubt be the favorite, even though they'll be the third seed. And that's what the committee does. They don't want a rematch of Georgia and Alabama right now, which would be the case if they kept Alabama at two and didn't move Cincinnati up to three, which I don't think they would. That would make no sense. Um, so you are going to see, that's the reason you will see Michigan um, get leapfrogged by Alabama. So you have a Georgia-Michigan matchup, which should be an absolutely tremendous semifinal game. And Cincinnati, as Chris said, I think will get exposed. The odd team out after the way it all shook out, it worked out perfectly for Cincinnati. It was Notre Dame because Notre Dame's one loss came at the hands of the Bearcats. So they can't really complain about being on the outside looking in with that one loss because the team that's right in front of them is the team that beat them. So it works out to be a perfect storm. Spencer, do you think it lines up that these t- these three teams or these four teams are the teams that should get the nod right now based on only four teams get in? Oh, no question. And uh, I think the results were pretty obvious. Alabama was just desperate enough. Georgia couldn't play up to that kind of competition. Like Alabama knew if they lost, they were out of the playoffs. So, you know, if they, I think they had a rematch, it would be a much more even game. You know, they've seen each other and that'd be a really great finals. Honestly, I think that's what we kind of deserve. I know everyone's really hyped on Michigan right now, but not me. <laughs> well, right, yeah. everybody so else. Yeah. You know, you know, I mean, I'm, 
but uh, no, no, I hear what you're saying, and and I and I think, but don't be shocked at Michigan. They've got a great running game. And, uh, you know, the quarterback play for McNamara has gotten better and better and better. And then, of course, they got that freshman that comes in every now and again in McCarthy that can uh, that is a really exciting talent, very, very athletically inclined. And he's a guy that can they can go to the house at any point in time, throw it, run it. Uh, matter of fact, if you saw that big play yesterday in the Michigan game, Chris, uh, yeah. where you actually saw McCarthy, he, he hands the ball off. And, and then next thing you know, you see him running downfield. He passes up the running back to make a block. That is how fast <laughs> this kid is. Like, he really is lightning in a bottle. And the upside for his future at, at University of Michigan in a couple of years is immense. And a quick note, guys. Uh, I already heard some handicappers last night talking about that Alabama-Cincinnati game. And they're talking about point spreads upwards around 17, 18 points in a national semifinal. That kind of gives you an indication of uh, the respect, or I should say lack of respect, that the non-Power 5 teams and uh, team, obviously, in the Bearcats get when it comes to the college football playoff. Well, look at look at the how Nick Saban. You heard the little soundbite at the beginning of this segment, and Nick Saban used that being six point underdogs to Georgia as a catapult to play really well. I don't know if Cincinnati, no matter what they use in being a seventeen point underdog, can use to try to beat a team with the likes of Alabama. But you know, in my opinion, seventeen points is for all of us to keep it close because I really think it could be a 24 point spread. I yeah. really do. I think that, uh, that they are just so overmatched that uh, this team, but you know, that's why they play the games, right? Real quickly as we're almost out of time, let's talk about the bones. And of course the bones are the skull and crossbones on the helmets of the Las Vegas Raiders, yeah. six and five hosting the Washington football team coming off of a big Monday night win at Seattle five and six, which, you know, I'll tell you what, that is definitely uh, Taylor Heineke. you got to give this kid credit. He has played consistent and well all year. Nobody expected this team to still be in the mix, but at 5-6 and six they are. What can the Raiders expect today? And even though they beat the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas on Thanksgiving, have had this big rest, no way should they be overlooking the Washington football team, right? And they won't be overlooking them quickly on this on this game, Brian and, uh, and the guys. Look. This is uh, an offense that was look, looked pretty good, obviously, right, against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. Unfortunately for the Raiders, Darren Waller's out today. So they're going to need Foster Moreau. They're going to need the other guys, obviously, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the, the Renfros, the guys to step up big time. And I thought the Raiders were going to handle this game, you know, easily. You know, once uh, b- before I heard that Darren Waller was going to be out, now that he's going to be out, I still think the Raiders win, but I just think it's much more, it's much closer. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, reasons why I believe that. I think the, you know, the, the spot coming in for Washington is, is not great. They do have injuries on the defensive side of the football. So I, I do like the Raiders in this game, just not as, as much as I did before the Darren Waller injury. Again, Foster Moreau, no slouch. They have been high on yeah. this guy from day one. I've been hearing about him. So he'll get another opportunity. The opportunity he had, he made the most of. So listen, that is C. Wynn. Chris Wynn on the other line. Jared Justice back in studio producing. Of course, uh, sitting here helping me out and co-hosting the show with me. Spencer, the Wiz Ostrowski. Appreciate y'all. We'll be back next week, same time. Some big games. The only one that interests me this morning, I'm getting home to see. L.A. Chargers 6-5 and five at the Cincinnati Bengals. Should be a hell of a game. We'll see you next week. We appreciate it. T.C. Martin will be joining us to talk Frank Harnish. Once again, Frank, we love you. We love all you guys out there. We appreciate it. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.